0: Anyway, back to the podcast. Right. Well, I am very excited to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, For the last few weeks, we have been going through Ephesians and doing a series called Who Do You Think You Are? And we have been looking um, at the fact that we have many labels that we put on ourselves, which aren't all bad. But many of them come from how we see ourselves uh, and kind of how we think other people see us. They might be to do with our ethnicity, our um, childhood, our kind of background or how we look or uh, or kind of um, how clever we think we are. Um, and all these things, although they're not necessarily bad, um, we can feel like we're having to live up to something all the time. And in Ephesians... Uh, Paul tells us so many um, amazing things about who we are in Christ, new labels that as Christians um, we can kind of live in them, we can actually speak them to ourselves. We have looked at how we um, are in Christ, we have looked at how we are holy and blameless, we've looked at how we are redeemed and how we are inheritors. And I feel, to be honest with you, like the cat who got the cream, because this is like one of my favourite passages of Scripture that I am getting to look at with you today, um, from Ephesians 2, and it is verses... I'm going to kind of look mainly at verses 1 to 6, and then I'm going to look at verse 8 as well. But this label we are going to look at today that God gives us is that we are alive and in this passage Paul gives one of the clearest presentations of the gospel that is given throughout the whole Bible. He explains to us just what the good news of being in Christ really is. So I'm just going to read this passage to you if you've got your Bible. I mean there's so much in this I feel like you could read it a hundred times and not get the full depth of what is in these words. So me saying it once isn't going to be enough. But um, here I go. Okay, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Man, I love these verses. And I, to be honest, I wish I was doing kind of a six week series on these verses, even if you don't wish that. I wish that. So he gives this incredibly clear demonstration of the gospel here. And he describes what we once were or what we are now. If we don't follow Christ, if we don't know Christ, and he describes what we are now in Christ if we accept Jesus as our Lord so he describes what we were and he describes what we are now and he is reminding the church in Ephesus of who they are and in many ways we are just the same as those early Christians so he is reminding us too of who we are We need this reminder over and over again. And I just want to pause before I get into the first part of these verses. I just want to pause and these verses are amazing. This is saying that we are alive. Like this morning, particularly during this crazy time, during COVID, if you live in California, if you live in San Francisco, if you live anywhere near the fires, at the moment, it just feels like we are surrounded by death, feels like we're surrounded by negativity, feels like, <sighs> I feel like everybody begins conversations by going, <sighs> like this season is just insane. Like I feel like every conversation starts like that. And then we have to kind of work our way out of it. But these verses tell us that we are alive in Christ, even with our president in hospital with COVID, we are alive in Christ and that doesn't change. doesn't change whether we're sick, you know, whether we're having a bad day. That does not change. And as I go into these next verses, which are a little more negative, I want you to hold on to that. If you know Jesus, you are sitting here this morning in Christ, and that has nothing to do with your circumstances, nothing to do with how much of the Bible you've read today. It is all to do with what Jesus has done for you. So, the problem is, as I've looked at these verses, the problem I've kind of felt over and over again is, why do I not live in the reality of this every single day, just in the joy of, I am alive in Christ, I am spiritually alive? And the reason for this is we, whether we actually are Christians or not, we are so much more aware of our physical reality than we are our spiritual reality. We are so consumed with the physical things around us um, and with how those things make us feel and what they taste like and what they feel like. And we just don't give ourselves time often to really think about what is going on spiritually. And as I thought about it more, I thought it's so interesting that Actually, if we don't know Christ um, and we don't know Jesus, in fact, we've chosen, actually, we, we're like, we looked at the evidence and we say, we don't, no, we don't believe in that, and maybe don't believe in anything. Um, often we are completely unaware of our spiritual state. We are unaware that we are physi- we are spiritually dead. And kind of the other side is true. If we are spiritually alive in Christ, often actually we are unaware also of the fact we are spiritually alive so if we are spiritually dead we're unaware of it and if we're spiritually alive we are unaware of it because the majority of the time we spend just thinking about physical things our physical needs our physical wants the physical people around us and what we're going to do with our physical life and as I thought about this more, I just thought it's so interesting though, because although we're obsessed with the, the physical and that's what's in front of us, there's also something inside of us that craves feeling more and experiencing more than just what our physical bodies can give us. Um, I think in, in this life, in our society, we completely idolise uh, experiencing things and experiencing everything that our senses would have us you know, experience. We want to taste as much as we can. We want to um, see as much as we can. We want to smell as much as we can. We want to feel everything that our body has to offer. And we hate the idea of getting older and of death and of aging and people spend vast amounts of money on kind of being able to slow down the aging process. And I think this kind of um, almost like denial of death is something that we live with. And we, um, many, many people go through life actually kind of wanting to just go from an adre- adrenaline fix to the next adrenaline fix. And we can find that, kind of see that through extreme sports, see that through um, people who want a physical high of maybe taking drugs or alcohol. We can see it almost in, you know, people who almost want to cheat death through, it's like almost that image of somebody doing a bungee jump. And it's like they're hurtling to their death on a bungee jump, getting that amazing kind of rush of I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And then they ping back up and it's almost like they've cheated death and it seems like there's something inside of us that craves this feeling of being alive and wanting something more, kind of being aware that there's got to be something more than just this physical body and just this physical experience. So we live like this Um, and it seems as if we kind of just want something more. So what is Paul saying? Paul seems to be aware that this is the situation the Ephesians are in. And so he gives this incredible analogy of death and life. So first of all, we're just gonna look at what we once were. So Paul says that we're physically dead. No, he doesn't say physically, he says we're spiritually dead. Um, and in our culture, I don't know whether, um, you've been around death, um, or you've seen death, but actually in our culture, we're very, um, protected from, from seeing death. We are kind of in denial about death. Um, it's very sanitized. We don't have to, uh, see dead bodies. Um, we don't really even like the idea that our um, the food we eat, the animals we eat, if we may have to be killed, we really struggle with the idea of death. Um, we see it as morbid, as macabre, as kind of gruesome, and we sort of avoid it at all costs. And it didn't always, um, it wasn't always this way. Up until about the 19th century, people would have had to have kind of dealt with their own dead Um, And in many cultures across the world, that is still the case. Um, And they had to kind of go through the process of disposing of dead bodies themselves. And they would have been much more familiar with what a corpse looked like, what it smelt like, um, and just the process of deterioration. Um, And the Ephesians in AD 60, AD 61 would have been familiar with death, um, it was hot. Um, and this idea of death and a corpse, this picture, this vivid picture that Paul is giving us is something they would have been very familiar with. And because we are so um, unfamiliar with death, this image kind of, I don't know, it, it doesn't necessarily have quite the same impact um, but I've had a couple of experiences of death, I just want to share with you. The, the first one was actually um, kind of funny, in a way, <laughs> because I was working as a tea lady in a hospital. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd realised I was only about 19, I think. And I don't think I'd realised how much of a hospital is full of people at end of life. Um, elderly people often who don't ma- have many uh, friends or family visiting them and the hospital wards are, are full of of these people who um, sadly are in their last days and I would go around and offer um, these patients tea, coffee and often kind of their bedtime drinks. They would have a hot drink before bed. We call it Horlicks in the UK. And I um, was going around this ward and offering my drinks and chatting to them. And I said, oh, would the gentleman um, like a Horlicks? Would you like a Horlicks? And there was no sound. And I think I may have said it about three or four times before the nurse next to me kind of cra- was crazy signaling to me, trying to explain uh, that this man was actually dead. He had passed away. And I didn't realize and i uh was quite embarrassed and and moved on but it was um an amazing kind of i think it really hit me just the reality that in that place death was quite normal and there were so many people at the end of life um it was sad but it was quite normal um and it was in a hospital there was ways that they you know there were systems for when that happened um my second encounter with death was complete opposite, was incredibly, incredibly sad. Uh, Tom and I were good friends with a family, um, who had a child who died and, um, they wanted us to go and pray with them and with the child who, who died at the hospital. And it was, unbelievably sad it was tragic it was brutal um they were grief stricken it was just that awful feeling of life being snatched away and no one could do anything to to bring it back and they just had to deal with what was in front of them and it was absolutely awful and um I think I was really changed by that experience of kind of seeing death being taken away. I think it gave me a lot more respect for for that and more understanding of that process of grief and loss because we put such a high high value on our physical lives and on our relationships um, with one another. Um, But the thing is, however skilled we are, however successful we are in this life, however um, rich we are, however much we experience, we cannot control um, when death occurs. We cannot control uh, when it happens, we can't stop it from happening and we can't bring anybody back. So Paul is using this image of, of death, this powerful image and he isn't he's not saying we are literally dead. Um it's quite similar the way that he's using the word to um in Genesis uh with Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve are told that if they eat of the tree of knowledge, they will die. Um but when they eat from the tree, when they both eat from the tree, they don't they don't fall down dead. Um they actually what happens is instead there is a spiritual separation from God and what happens is death and pain and toil and sadness enter the world and they from that point on live under a curse and that curse is passed on to the rest of humanity and death enters the world at that point uh, Romans five says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. So from from that point on, Adam, the first man and Eve, the first woman were caught in this web of of sin. Um, it's like death and destruction are kind of pulling them down and um, having some control over them and on the generations to come. It seems that um, one sin kind of can often lead to another sin. And um, Paul says, in the verses I just read, he says that we were dead in the sins and trespasses in which we once walked, And we were following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air and carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. Wow. So it's saying that we were controlled, in some way kind of controlled and following the world The the devil the prince of the power of the air and the flesh these three things have kind of some power over us and we follow after them and because of this because of this sin that we're following after we become children of wrath and it's kind of crazy but the image you get is almost like a a zombie being controlled um, by somebody else and sort of walking aimlessly, almost like the walking dead, following after these things, what the world has to offer, what the devil has to offer, and what the flesh desires. And we're walking aimlessly and believing that these things are going to bring us life. These things are going to somehow bring us joy. These things are going to somehow um, bring us freedom, but they Never do. Um, I've just been reading a book, um, a novel kind of about the Holocaust. And oh my goodness, it's so shocking. And, and, and the most shocking part has been it describes these young German teenager, teenage boys being enrolled into hit the Hitler youth and the process of kind of brainwashing that went on. And it describes kind of, kind of years of them being brainwashed and then committing one kind of small um, crime, um, kind of first of all against one another, almost like deceiving one another, and then beginning to carry out these crimes on primarily the Jews. And it builds up like, almost like one sin after another, to the point that in the book he says like, I knew it was wrong to start with, but after I'd done it a few times, I stopped believing it was wrong and I had no guilt anymore. And I think that picture of, um, these boys who become Nazis, um, and who are responsible for thousands of, of just pointless deaths is, an incredible image of almost like the hold that the world and the enemy has on us that we are in this web of sin that is pulling us downwards and we're we become dead to any kind of moral compass or or spiritual um compass and we kind of lose any awareness um that that what we're doing is wrong we become desensitized and um it's not just that we are desensitized and we sin which obviously has a big impact on our lives but it's also that there is a penalty for sin and the penalty is that we are cut off from god in isaiah 59 it says that our sins have cut us off from god they have separated us from god we consciously have put a barrier between us and God, and that stops us from being able to be in relationship with him. We, therefore, have become children of wrath. We have become um, kind of people who his wrath is poured out upon because we are sinning against him. And it doesn't just say we, um, we are children of wrath. It says by nature, we were children of wrath. And it's almost like because of Adam's sin, because sin came into the world through Adam, it's almost like human beings have been predispositioned to sin. We have been predispositioned. It is in our nature to sin and to go after the things of this world. It's almost like we're being pulled in that direction without even realizing it. And uh, just as a corpse is completely um, unable to change its state, we are completely unable to change our state. We have no sensory awareness to God and we cannot respond to him. We are dead. So it also means that we don't just kind of sin because we choose to commit sins, but there are also sins of omission, because we um, are dead. We are unaware of who God is, and in uh, in Romans one, it paints a picture. Paul again just paints this picture of. Like God's glory is displayed all around of us in creation; it's it's everywhere, um, and it's is in us. We, we're created by God, but when we're dead, we are completely unaware of that glory. And in Romans one, Paul says, "We have no excuse, really, because the world is just full of God's glory. We can see it everywhere we look. So if we don't." worship him, we are sinning just by not doing the thing we were made to do. So instead of worshipping God, we worship other things and we put other things in the place of God. Um, And often the thing we put in that place is ourselves. And we live our lives kind of with ourselves at the centre. And we look to everything we can to find our self-worth um we look to relationships we look to what i was saying earlier about kind of experiencing everything and kind of getting as much as we can out of this life being as busy and successful and working as hard as we possibly can um we we do this um in the way that we, even in church, in the way we can serve and we can try to do things to impress others, use our gifts to impress others, because we're looking for a sense of worth within ourselves. And this can be insatiable. It can be um, exhausting. And we can find uh, no rest in this when we're looking to kind of just serve ourselves. And the thing is, deep down, whether we um, are Christians and we've kind of just forgotten we're alive, or whether we don't know God and we're dead, there's still some sense in us that we were created for something more. So Paul goes on to talk about what we are now. And these amazing words, but God, um, are written And it is just so glorious. There is a but God. He does not leave us in the sin, in the death. He comes and does what we are not able to do. Um, John Stott says, Paul has plumbed to the depths of pessimism about man and he now soars to the heights of optimism about God. He takes us from despair, to joy and uh, I was thinking of it it's almost like you know if you've had a bad dream and it's just so scary and hard and oh just dark and then you wake up and you have that feeling of, I've, oh my goodness, it wasn't real. It's like, actually, it's not as bad as it was. And you feel this new appreciation for life and for your family and for food and for the fact that you've got another day and you, it wasn't like it was in the dream. And that's almost what it feels like. It's like, but God. So throughout the Bible, um, many, many of the different writers in the Bible give us kind of metaphors of life for what it means to know Christ and follow Christ and be a Christian. Um, it says that we are born again. We're literally born again. Almost describes us as like we're becoming babies again, um, which there's nothing more full of life than a new baby. Um, it says that he puts breath in our lungs. And um, it says that he gives us a new heart, a new beating heart that will pump blood round our body, the complete opposite of being dead. It says that he opens our eyes to him so that we can see him. So there's all these incredible analogies of life. And um, a wonderful example of this is with the prodigal son, where the father says to the son, you were dead, but now you're alive. And, it obviously wasn't that he was literally dead. He had just left and gone his own way and done his own thing and not lived in the reality that he was a son. But when he comes back, it's like he's alive again. He's alive to that relationship with his father. And this is what um, these these verses um, in 2 Corinthians say. I just want to read this this bit again, the happy bit. It says, But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is the amazing thing, and I think we can miss this. The The reason he did all of this is because of his great love for us. So just like in the story of the prodigal son, the father is overjoyed, his son has returned, and he is alive again. God is our father, and he is so in love with us and so overjoyed when we know life in him and we can experience life with him. His love is just beyond anything we could imagine and us um, knowing any of these incredible labels that um, this book of Ephesians gives us, that it is all rooted in his love for us. Um, he loved us first. It says, for he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son so that we shall not perish but have eternal life. He loved us when we were dead in our sins. He loved us when we were powerless to make it any better. He loved us when we couldn't get out of the pit that we put ourselves in. He loved us when we were stuck. He loved us when we were like zombies wandering around aimlessly and ignoring him. He loved us even if we were the kind of people who said we didn't think he existed or that we, you know, we were antagonistic. Paul himself. Killed Christians, he hated God. Yet God reached in and got him. Um, He loved him so much. And Paul says that he showed this love through sending his son, through Christ. There was a penalty that had to be paid for our sin. You know, this, this passage shows us that the sin was real. The death was real. The separation was real. And there was a penalty that had to be paid. And that penalty was paid by Jesus. That penalty was paid through Jesus coming and Jesus dying um, a gruesome death. He paid that penalty for us. He died. He experienced that death so that we didn't have to. And not only did he die in that place, in our place, but he also was then raised to life. He conquered death. And so we not only get our penalty paid through him dying on the cross, but we are also raised to life in him. We are made alive in him. It's not just that the fee has been paid, but we have this incredible amount put in our bank account. We have all of this money, all of these blessings given to us because of what Jesus did, because of God's love for us. And Paul says that it is through grace you have been saved. He actually says that twice in this passage. He doesn't want us to forget. This is through grace. This is not because we have followed the Ten Commandments. This is not because we have lived a good life. It's not because we have used all the gifts he has given us. It's not because we've served in Sanctuary Kids. It's not because we've put the chairs out. It's it's nothing we could do ourselves. It is by grace we have been saved. And he says that we can actually live as resurrected beings now, um, it says that we have been saved. He is using a past tense. Something has already happened. So it's not just that we're waiting till when we die to um, to be with Jesus. We can live a resurrected life now. And uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a wonderful chapter written by Paul again, all about um, our resurrection, our resurrected life, our resurrection bodies. And it says, for if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then it goes on to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die, so also in Christ, all shall be made alive. If we are in Christ, then we are made alive. And this is completely by grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So no one can boast. We cannot make ourselves come back to life. We, we were dead. That's why he uses the illustration of death. We were completely unresponsive. There is nothing we could have done. It's nothing to do with us. And just like uh, the story of Lazarus, where Lazarus, Jesus' friend, had, had died. Jesus didn't kind of hurry to, to get there. There were lots of other things he was doing. And Lazarus was in the tomb for three days. And by the time he got there, everyone was like, don't worry, it's fine, he's dead. You know, everyone's weeping. It's, you know, they're feeling the grief. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out and he is restored to life. And this is a picture of the life that we have in Jesus, and it is nothing that we have done. So what are the implications for us now, living in San Francisco, living wherever we're living today? How do we live in the truth of this label? We, we said at the beginning, even as Christians, we find it hard to access the spiritual often, we find it hard to really believe we are alive and live in the truth of that. And we need um, to make space in our lives to remember these truths. Often I think it is as simple as slowing down. This is something I find very hard. I, I'm busy. I like being busy. But often when I'm busy, um, it can make me feel alive for a bit. But then I get exhausted. And then I become incredibly aware of my frailty. And, you know, I can get depressed, I can um, just struggle with my the physical limits of my body. And I think if we slow down, and we have a rhythm, I think going back to like the emotional healthy stuff, Tom, uh, we've heard recently, I think, living in, with a slower pace where we are choosing to reflect on these truths, um, living as if it, it really matters that we are spiritually connected to God, um, makes these things come alive to us more. Um, the implication should be that we are also just more um, aware and awake to the glory of creation around us, and if our lives are too fast, then we often don't see those things. I know many people have said during COVID because they've been at home and maybe they've been able to take walks during the day or just been more aware of just kind of the seasons around them. Um, it's almost like, oh, you're like, oh, nature. I like walking my dog in the park. I like seeing where I actually live. and And I think... We were designed to enjoy the creation that God has put around us and to worship God as a result of it. Another implication is we no longer have to fear death. Actually, spiritual death is more terrifying than than physical death. And we know that even now we can experience what it means to know Jesus for eternity. When we die, this eternal life we have already started will continue. We do not need to be scared of death in the same way. We know whose we are. We know where we're going. We know who we're going to be with. And we can understand also a freedom. Um, if we understand, if we really get that image that we were dead, and that it meant we were cut off from God and we could do nothing um, to please him and nothing to kind of even like make him notice us. We couldn't even say hi. You know, he he could we couldn't even do anything to draw him to us. If we really get that, we we're completely dead. Then there is such an incredible freedom that comes from realising it is all about what Jesus has done for us not just a bit it's not just I put my little bit in and then God does the rest it really is that Jesus has done the whole thing so even on those days when we we feel like failures and we feel like we haven't um we haven't read our bibles or we we've we've failed we've shouted at our kids or we've gotten stuff wrong we've been lazy whatever it is even on those days, we can know a freedom um, that we walk in the freedom of knowing God loves us no matter what. And also, it should free us to serve with the right attitude. I think so often because we are um, often serving or doing out of a place of trying to get a sense of self-worth for ourselves, often we serve with the wrong motives um, but when we become aware that we are alive in Christ we can serve with the, the right motives we we know that without God we're we're nothing we're no better than anybody else around us and we serve from a place of knowing um, the incredible compassion that God has had for us we serve knowing what we've been saved from there is kind of a a gratefulness, a gratitude in our hearts. We're serving from a place of plenty rather than serving with a, oh, if I have to, attitude. And and I think that impacts everything that we do, whether that's serving in church, whether that's with our families. We are choosing to worship Him um, in our everyday lives, in all the small things, because of what He has first done for us. So I just want, and that's a lot of information, but I just want to encourage you now just to close your eyes and we're just going to draw to a close. And I, I just want to ask you, um, do you feel spiritually alive? Do you feel um, connected with God Do you feel aware of what you have been rescued from? Are you aware of the spiritual state that you have now and that you have for all eternity? And does this change the way that you live now? It says in 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory where O oh death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through jesus christ our lord